It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking details about a search for an Oregon family who may have been lost in the B.C. wilderness for 10 days. Tonight, it's believed that family, including two young children, has been spotted. Andrew is in our newsroom with the details. And Anne, the circumstances here are very mysterious. Yes, such a mystery and so many questions tonight, Chris. Police believe the family had originally planned to travel to the Philippines and checked into the Portland airport back on May 25th, but later canceled their plane tickets and changed their minds. Instead, investigators say they drove to Canada, entering at a border crossing near Fernie on June 9th. Then, just this past Monday, Deeslake RCMP were advised of an abandoned vehicle on the power line approximately 500 meters from highway 37 that vehicle a black 2018 toyota yaris with oregon license plates police say it is associated to jeffrey fan michelle lasaka both 24 years old and their children who are three and two years of age police also say there was a note left on the car indicating the vehicle had run out of fuel and the driver had gone to find more but all checks with area gas stations police say have been unsuccessful now global Although not confirmed that it is them, uh, they certainly match the description and the RCMP and the authorities are very hopeful that it, that's who in fact it is that they're looking for. It appears that they are not in any kind of physical distress at this time. Uh, search and rescue are gathering up uh, more resources, for example a boat, etc., to get to these people, bring them to safety, and at that time perhaps answer a lot of the questions of, you know, what happened. Now, Global News has just spoken with the missing woman's father who is in the Philippines. He says he has no idea why the family may have gone to Canada. So again, a real mystery tonight. RCMP hoping to have some answers in the very near future. Mm -hmm. Chris, Sophie. Yeah, and that possible sighting of them, uh, perhaps there's some good news. All right, thanks, Anne, for that. A former Vancouver massage therapist is facing sexual assault charges. Bodie Jones is alleged to have assaulted a number of female clients. Ramina Dea has more on what we know about him and the appeal from police. It's how it is. It's feast of fan. Bodie Jones is in the news again, but this time it has nothing to do with his music. On May 29th of 2018, Crown Council approved four charges of sexual assault against Bodie Jones. Jones was a massage therapist at Chi Integrated Health in Vancouver when he was first arrested in February 2017. Police say several patients have come forward alleging they were sexually assaulted during massage treatments. According to court documents, the charges involve four women. The alleged offenses occurred between October 2016 and January 2017. It wasn't surprising. I've been aware of the allegations for some time. The College of Massage Therapists of BC says Jones voluntarily resigned his registration 16 months ago, days after he was first arrested. He'd only been a registrant for about eight or nine months and there had been no complaints, no investigations, no discipline. Despite charges being laid, this investigation is not over. Vancouver police are now appealing to other women to come forward because they believe there could be other victims. 
We are publicly releasing this information with the hope of providing those affected with a direct contact here at the VPD. We want to hear from anyone who feels they may have been assaulted by Jones. Jones has been released with conditions. He's back in court on June 28th. The governing body for massage therapists says Bodhi will likely never practice again. Its message to patients. If anyone feels uncomfortable during a treatment or uncertain about what's happening, don't hesitate to raise it. Bring it up. Uh, speak to the RMT about it. Or as a last resort, contact the college. Romina Dea, Global News. Recreational marijuana will be legal in Canada on October 17th. The date follows the Senate's passing of the pot bill late yesterday afternoon. Nadia Stewart joins us now live from Vancouver. And Nadia, municipalities have a lot of work to do over the next few weeks to get ready. They do, Sophie, but not just them. The province also has some adapting to do as well. It is the announcement many in B.C. have been waiting for. Parliament has now passed Bill C-45, which will legalize and strictly regulate access to cannabis. Now comes the task of ensuring safety amidst the long-awaited legalization of cannabis. The province will have four months to align itself with the official federal rules on pot. B.C.'s public safety minister says they'll be ready but there's lots of work to be done. And so the provincial legislation anticipated a number of things, but there's a number of other areas where we actually have to wait for the final version from the federal government. And this is something not just faced by British Columbia, but all provinces across the country. One key area still needing clarity, the concerns around impaired driving. Barnesworth says officers here have been preparing, but questions remain. And then there's the municipal level. Vancouver created its own rules to deal with the influx of pot shops operating in a legal gray zone. The city says it will adapt to whatever the province and feds require, though there are more questions than answers there too. We've had to create our own system with dispensaries here to, to ensure that we had a system that was functional on the ground in Vancouver. I certainly will be asking questions about the fines that we, we have been giving. I'm going to be asking if uh, we have the resources within the Vancouver Police Department and our city staff to go through and close down the marijuana dispensaries that are open outside of the amendment to the zoning bylaw that do not have licenses. All right, Nadia, does this mean we're going to see another influx of dispensaries on October 17th? Mike Farnworth says no, Sophie, but there will be a gradual ramping up. He says inevitably there will be kinks as they're working through this new process, so they'll have to just work through all the kinks, work through all uh, the changes, and get this uh, as, you know, uh, follow the rules, I should say, as, as closely as possible, whatever it is that the federal government lays out. Back to you. October 17th is coming quickly. Nadia, thank you. The apparent link between money laundering, casinos, illicit drugs, and luxury Vancouver real estate, prompting a growing chorus of concern in recent months. Aaron MacArthur reports on a new poll indicating a majority of respondents support a public inquiry and what they'd like to see to crack down on the problem. Gambling is big business, worth billions of dollars to both government and criminal organizations. For years, money laundering has been rampant inside BC casinos, and British Columbians want something done about it. Definitely, I think there's a need. I think we need to dig in and see where the source of the money and how it's regulated and declared. A new poll from Research Co. is clear. Three quarters of people surveyed support a public inquiry, but it goes deeper than that. 
86% of people want high limit cash deposits tracked, and nearly two-thirds support a hold on new casino developments until the risks are better understood. I think what the survey shows is a lot of people who are dismayed by this, who think that this is definitely putting Vancouver, Metro Vancouver and British Columbia in a bad light. The government is stopping short of a full-blown inquiry, but a report on the scope of money laundering will be released next week. Like many British Columbians, uh, I'm troubled by the apparent connections to the real estate market uh, and the fact that the casinos might be just one piece of this. Uh, so there's obviously more work to do. The report expected to be released in full 40 recommendations dealing with ties between casino profits and real estate speculation. But most importantly, who needs to be held accountable for having let it happen for so long on such a large scale? Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, on the topic of real estate, the provincial government announcing historic steps to end hidden ownership, making sure people are paying their share of taxes. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria with the details here, Richard. And this is part of a 30-point plan to try to improve housing affordability. Yeah, it is, Chris. And it's a reputation that the province is trying to get rid of. It's become one of the easiest places to anonymously hide wealth in the world and has created that reputation around it. So the province is trying to change that. And today uh, they made an announcement where they plan to create the first of its kind registry in Canada to track people and the home ownership. Uh, what people are doing now is they are using numbered companies, offshore and domestic trusts and corporations to skirt the rules. Finance Minister Carol James says with the registry, it will become much easier to track that. Um, we believe transparency is important and we also believe that people should pay their fair share of taxes. If we don't know who owns land, we're not able to track and do the kind of auditing that is needed to make sure that the right taxes are being paid. All right, Richard, do we have an estimate on how many properties are owned without names being attached and how quickly could the new rules be implemented? Yeah, to that first question, Chris, the reason why the province is doing this now is because they don't know how widespread this is. They know anecdotally it's had a pretty major impact on housing affordability in Metro Vancouver and are concerned about it. That's why they want to track exactly who are owning properties in British Columbia. In terms of timing, today the province also releasing what's being called a white paper. It provides information about what legislation would look like that the province plans on bringing forward in the fall. We've put a copy of that on our website so people can check it out and the province wants uh, their feedback. Public consultation will be open until August 19th, Chris. And the impact on housing prom, uh, prices yet to be determined. We'll see how that works itself out. Thanks, Richard. Yeah, absolutely. The city of Vancouver has ordered a derelict hotel on the downtown east side to shut down. The one... The 105-year-old Regent Hotel on East Hastings has been deemed unsafe and will close June 28th. The city says the building has structural and life safety deficiencies due to decades of mismanagement by the owners, the Sahota family. The Regent had been the subject of more than 1,000 bylaw violations. The hotel's nearly 80 tenants will now be moved into two new buildings on Main Street called the Jubilee Rooms. More tonight on a story we broke on last night's news hour, changes coming to BC's fish farm industry. Starting in 2022, fish farm tenures coming up for renewal will require First Nations approval. But as Keith Baldry explains, not everyone is in agreement on whether that will mean veto power over the industry.
Another day, another small anti-fish farm protest at the B.C. legislature. Inside, some big changes for those fish farms were being unveiled. When we first became government, we stated that fish farm policy would be done differently. Aquaculture has become B.C.'s number one agriculture industry, but there is an ongoing debate over whether they spread diseases that hurt wild salmon. The big changes announced today don't take effect until four years from now, but they mean local First Nations consent will be required for a fish farm to operate. And the Federal Department of Fisheries and Oceans must agree the fish farm does not threaten wild salmon stocks. And all farm tenures or licenses up for renewal will be renewed on a month-to-month basis until then. It's a really positive message uh, for uh, this amazing species that we happen to have, a, a global treasure here in British Columbia. Even though First Nations will have the power to decide a fish farm's fate, the minister denied that amounts to veto powers. There is no veto. None. We're looking at this as a framework to reach agreements. Reaction was predictably split on an issue that is polarizing for so many. Our salmonids are in crisis. We're seeing unprecedented uh, fishery closures and declines of stocks across the province, and so we do not have time to wait. If farms were to suddenly disappear, there'd be increased pressure from overfishing. So our farms play an integral role in protecting wild stocks, and we're passionate about that work. And a resource sector spokesman said the powers for First Nations will have an impact that goes well beyond fish farming. Everyone in industry, everyone who's potentially going to invest in BC or already has assets here, will be looking at this very carefully to see what it portends for their own interests. Keith Baldry, Global News, Victoria. Now to the football fan who got a little more than he bargained for when he pulled a prank at a recent Lions game. The Surrey man who ran onto the field was stopped in his tracks by a player. And while at the time many people thought it was rather funny, that man is now alleging he was injured and he's hired a lawyer. Grace Key reports. He's the streaker who ran the field at BC Play Stadium on Saturday only to get tackled by BC Lions defensive back Marcel Young. That streaker has now hired a lawyer. A statement from Presler Law Firm reads, Our client suffered serious injuries, including a mild traumatic brain injury, as a result of being violently struck by BC Lions player Marcel Young, adding he's recovering at home and his prognosis is unclear. The BC Lions and BC Play Stadium are not commenting, but there are plenty of opinions. You're drunk running on the field. Feels like he deserves it. Sure what he was doing wasn't right, but football player tackling him like that that's I don't think he was expect. I don't think anyone was expecting that yeah I mean I think he just lived with the embarrassment and then uh, sort of just let it die out but yeah I think he's looking to make a quick buck the law firm had no further comment but Kyla Lee with Acumen Law expects there will be a quick out-of-court settlement because of the way in which he caused his own suffering by running onto the field and streaking and breaking the rules, um, it's unlikely that any award he's given will be a whole award. It's, it's most likely that it's going to be significantly reduced by the court because of contributory negligence. Vancouver police also made a correction from earlier reports stating the streaker was transported to VPD cells. The law firm stating his family took him to hospital after he was released from the stadium. Police say he declined an ambulance. There was a clerical error originally with, um, with some reports. I had some misinformation that he was continued on and taken uh, through a level of intoxication uh, to detox, which was closed and into our jail. Turns out that was not the case. 
Police say the man is from Surrey in his 20s and showed signs of intoxication. He was issued a $115 fine for trespassing and banned from BC Place for a year. Grace Key, Global News. But first, it is billed as a service that will change the way Canadians fly. Swoop Airlines, an offshoot of WestJet, brought its inaugural low-cost flight into Abbotsford today. The big questions tonight, is flying Swoop that much cheaper? And will the airline fly when so many others have flopped? Ted Chernecki reports. As the name might suggest, WestJet appears determined to swoop in and steal market share in a sector that's been badly underserviced. The inaugural flight, Hamilton to Abbotsford, where the average ticket price was $103. So much better than going into Toronto right. and through Pearson and all that. It actually turned out to be great. We had a great experience checking in and getting on the plane. The competition is fantastic for consumers. But there is a but. If history is anything to go by, ultra-low-cost airlines do not fare well in a country so big in size and so small in population. In Canada, it's a tough, tough go. We've seen airlines come and go through the years. The one advantage Swoop may have over the competition is that it has WestJet behind it, a large and experienced parent company. Next week we start um, Edmonton and Winnipeg. And then uh, we're looking uh, later in the year to expanding uh, internationally to the United States, Mexico and beyond. Earlier this week, Flair Air announced it will be moving its headquarters from Kelowna to Edmonton as it significantly increases its daily low-budget flights. Swoop Air is headquartered in Calgary. And to keep costs down, these airlines fly into less crowded airports like Hamilton and Abbotsford. If we can pull people away from the Bellingham Airport or Seattle SeaTac and fly here, so much better for our own community, for jobs. Now, there are a few things you need to know before you go. First, there's only a limited number of $49 flights. You pay extra for everything, even a carry bag for the overhead bin. And you'll have to hope the airline is still in business on your departure date. What I'm advising any consumer is to buy with a credit card because you can get ser- services not rendered protection. For the consumer, more choice is always better. And let's just hope this latest effort takes off. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And here's how some Swoop Airlines fares compare to its parent company. The lowest advertised one-way fare on Swoop from Abbotsford to Edmonton is $49, while the lowest WestJet price we could find is just under $79. A Swoop flight from Abbotsford to Hamilton is advertised at $199. The same flight on WestJet, $269. Swoop does, however, have higher charges for carry-on and checked bags and for seat selection. Keep that in mind. Rallies and protests in many cities as the United Nations marks World Refugee Day. The UN says more than 30 million children around the world are currently displaced by conflict. And right now, of course, it's the more than 2,000 who've been separated from their parents and housed in detention centers in the U.S., who are getting most of the attention tonight. The Trump administration's controversial zero-tolerance policy on illegal immigrants has local advocates up in arms. As Linda Aylesworth reports, they say it's more important than ever to fight for refugees' rights. Today is World Refugee Day. It was created 18 years ago by the United Nations for two reasons. So it's important for refugees because we are recognizing them and we are telling them that we know what you go through. 
Salim was a refugee himself 20 years ago, and he and his young family fled Iraq and the human rights atrocities being inflicted on the Kurdish people by Saddam Hussein. Now he helps other refugees adjust to life in Canada. Which brings us to the second goal of World Refugee Day, educating non-refugees in host countries. 65.8 million people are fleeing their home and have, uh, are, are affected by war or, um, the, or persecution. And we really want them to know uh, what they are going through. Among those observing Refugee Day at Vancouver's Central Library this afternoon, Muna Kalani. She helps refugees as a caseworker and finds most have one thing in common. Fear of what's to come, but excitement uh, of being safe. She also finds that most are grateful to have come here as opposed to the U.S. The reasons not hard to understand, especially in light of recent headlines about separating children from their parents. People um, seeking refuge are running away from hardship, from life-threatening situations. And having to deal with another crisis, I cannot believe it happens. It's a sad moment for all of us. Um, for me, coming from a refugee experience, I cannot imagine how would I have felt if my kids were taken away from me. They're beautiful people and they are worth being recognized and get to know them, speak with them, hear their story. There's no one you cannot learn to love once you've heard their story. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Now a dramatic about face today for Donald Trump finally bowing to widespread outrage over the separation of immigrant children from their parents. Trump doing exactly what he said he couldn't do just a few days ago, signing an executive order to end the practice. We're signing an executive order. Tonight, under a mountain of pressure, a stunning reversal by the president with the stroke of a pen, after saying for days only Congress could do it. It's about keeping families together, while at the same time being sure that we have a very powerful, very strong border. The executive order keeps parents and children together while the adults await immigration hearings and instructs the military to build new facilities to house those families. The plan doesn't end the president's zero-tolerance policy, which requires everyone who crosses the border illegally to face prosecution. Do you think you're backing down? No, no, the border is just as tough. Uh, but we do want to keep families together. But acknowledging the dilemma. If you're really, really pathetically weak, the country's going to be overrun with millions of people. And if you're strong, then you don't have any heart. That's a tough dilemma. On Sunday, images surfaced of kids in cage-like structures. By Monday, the world heard the horrifying sounds. Children crying, just separated from their families. Tuesday, the president tweeting a warning against an infestation of illegal immigrants. When you prosecute the parents for coming in illegally, which should happen, you have to take the children away. Allies slam the president. The pictures of children being held in what appear to be cages are deeply disturbing. This is wrong. The Pope labeling it immoral. Adding fuel to the fire, overnight protesters heckled the Department of Homeland Security secretary, the public face of the zero tolerance policy, while she dined at a Mexican restaurant. Now, the hard part. Congress still wrestling with a long-term solution on immigration and what to do with all those children. 
Shocking new details tonight about that alleged house of horrors in California as the couple accused of starving and abusing their 13 children appeared in court. The court heard a 911 call not released to the public before made by David and Louise Turpin's 17-year-old daughter after she had escaped. The girl told police she spent 20 hours a day in her room. The children were starved, beaten and chained in their rooms and the house smelled so bad she had trouble breathing. Now to a scary sight at a Virginia Speedway. A race car burst into flames after a crash. The driver surrounded by fire. But before even the official emergency crews could arrive, the driver's father springs into action. Mike Jones was behind the wheel of car 39 on Virginia's South Boston Speedway when he spun out of control. After smashing into the wall at nearly 100 miles an hour, the stock car burst into flames. It's a driver's worst nightmare for sure. Once I saw the flames, um, it was just get out as quick as I could. Just seconds after coming to a stop, Dean Jones says he did what any dad would do. I just had a single focus, get my son out of that burning car. Nothing else mattered. Jumping the pit wall, running to his son's burning car and pulling him from the wreckage as flames exploded around them. When I saw the flames, nothing was going to stop me from getting to his car. The father and son duo have always shared a lifelong love of racing. Dean Jones is Mike's pit crew chief, the dad making this save on Father's Day weekend. The feeling that I felt when I pulled him out of the car was just a sense of relief that my son was alive. It's, it's really kind of hard to put in words. Tonight, Mike Jones is ready to get back in the driver's seat, knowing Dad is just a pit stop away. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. Caught on surveillance video, a frightening abduction attempt in broad daylight. The victim, who doesn't want to be identified, jogging in Massachusetts when a driver pulls over and tries to grab her. She does exactly what she's supposed to do, kicks and screams and fights back. When the attacker takes off after an elderly neighbor comes to her rescue, she has the presence of mind to take a picture of his license plate. I just kind of remember, like, this is not how my story ends. This is not, I am not going to let this happen. I knew of all the things, the most important thing was not to allow him to get me into that vehicle. The 57-year-old suspect, a convicted rapist, was arrested after crashing his car and hid behind a sheet during his arraignment in hospital. He's pleading not guilty to kidnapping and assault charges. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Nasty storm system sends golf ball-sized hailstones pounding down onto a deck in Colorado. In other places, the hail was the size of baseballs, battering cars, buildings, and gardens, too. Doesn't seem right, does it? No, not at this time of year. All right, it's the opposite uh, here in Vancouver. Of course, Christy Gordon uh, is enjoying the high temperatures and the sunshine out at Nat Bailey tonight. Hi, Christy. Hi, you two. Yes, what a fantastic night to kick off another 
terrific season here at Nat Bailey Stadium. The Vancouver Canadians were the Northwest League champions last year, and they're looking to do it again. It is a sold-out crowd, by the way. I didn't just get this ring. Andy Dunn is off the side here. We'll be talking to him in a second. He lent me this ring. But, uh, yes, sold-out crowd here tonight. You can get all the bratwurst you want, and, of course, all the drinks, and it's always a great time here at Nat Bailey Stadium. Let's talk about the record-breaking conditions, though, that we saw across the province today. A dozen records broken again today. This is the third day in the row. There's some of the top four for you. Blue River, Burns Lake, Chetwin, and Pitt Meadows. We have one heat warning left, and that's for the Fort Nelson, BC Peace River area. Otherwise, we're under a severe thunderstorm watch for those areas in yellow. And we have lightning strikes all over the province, a number of them across Vancouver Island. Dozens of new fires have been ignited today alone. It is so dry out there, and we're expecting thunderstorms again tomorrow right across the province. Reminder, if you hear lightning, head indoors. This is not something to be playing with, and I need you to go and download the Sky Tracker app. That way you can actually track those thunderstorms real time and get the warnings right on your phone. Here's a look at your forecast for tomorrow with those thunderstorms right across the province tomorrow, and temperatures not as hot as what we'll see to, or we saw today, but it still is fairly warm. These are above seasonal and will continue to see a cooling trend, but very unstable air mass expected across the region. For the lower mainland, mostly dry. We transition to summer. It'll be the longest day of the year tomorrow, which is fantastic. Here is Andy Dunn. He's the president of the Vancouver Canadians, chief bottle washer as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, big home opener, sold out crowd, and another one again tomorrow. Yeah, we're looking forward to uh, defending the title tonight. Opening night's a special night. Um, sold out crowd. Mm-hmm. Ballpark has never looked better, and I appreciate you guys coming out tonight. What do you have new for the fans? You've got great fans here in Nat Bailey Stadium. What do you have new for them this well, year? We'll continue with our three-foot hot dogs and all of our promotions and races. We will, just for you guys, we haven't announced it yet, we will be debuting, debuting a new sushi to the sushi race this oh. year, so that'll be pretty big, but it's just, we're going to have a lot of fun. We look forward to kicking off opening night of 38 great home games. Always the, the big fans of the, the dancing grounds crew as well. Um, so I know that you've got some tickets left over for tomorrow night's game? Yeah, we have about 100 left for tomorrow, 200 left for the noon. First nooner of the year is Friday, and if you're looking for tickets, just go to CanadiansBaseball.com, and we'll be sure to take care of all your needs. That's right. Always a fun time down here in Nabbaley Stadium. I always feel like when I come in here, it just sort of transforms the way I feel, because it's just it feels magical almost. Well, you know, we, we try to evoke the old school baseball. Um, this year we have a new Babe Ruth ball on display in the concourse. But this is baseball at its purest. Um, you can get right up close to the action. And the most important thing is it's, it's, it's affordable. Yeah. We, we, take the, we take great pride in keeping the fans coming to the ballpark. Our tickets are $16. Come out, bring the whole family. It won't cost you an arm and a leg. That's exactly right. Spend an afternoon or an Absolutely. evening, even have dinner here, and it's great. You know, on Friday's the first nooner. I don't know how everybody gets off work, but I'm glad you do. <laughs> Come on out. We'll see you for the first noon on Friday in Vancouver. Our fans are just the best. They sure are, and so is the team. Well, congratulations to you for always a great year uh, and hopefully another great season for the Vancouver Canadians, hopefully bringing home another ring. All right, you guys, back to you. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Andy. Thank you. <laughs> what a nice... We're trying to make a guess. <laughs> what, what was that? Well, well, we're trying to guess what the new sushi is for the sushi race. Oh, what no, could I it be? Sushi. I know. Negatoro? Can't I be a dynamite negatoro. roll. Negatoro roll? Dynamite roll. Dynamite like the roll. Prawn tail sticking out. Oh. That, uh-huh. that is a good game. It's a 10 minute walk from my house, so I'm just really excited <laughs> that they've got So, what do you put on, the, or what don't you put on the three foot hot dog? 
food. No ketchup. No ketchup. Really? Ketchup should not be on hot dogs. Relish, (gasps) mustard, onions. Relish, mustard, onions. Mm. A lot of good nominees for the King Clancy Memorial Trophy. But let's be honest, it, it, it went to the right place. Yeah. We should mention the sushi will be revealed at the end of the show. Oh, yes. Yes. The us. big reveal of the sushi. Yeah. And now Sophie wants a hot dog. And sushi. No ketchup. No ketchup. No ketchup. All right. Here we go. Uh, hi, everybody. NHL Awards Night in Las Vegas. Daniel and Henrik up for the King Clancy Memorial Trophy for their countless community work. Superstar hockey players, I'll tell you, they've been rock stars in the community, though. Connor McDavid was awarded the Ted Lindsay Award as the league's most outstanding player. Norris Trophy won by Lightning defenseman Victor Hedman. And BC boy Matt Barzell won that Rookie of the Year honors. But it was only fitting to see the Sedins win one last major NHL trophy. The King Clancy Award goes to... Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Honored for their leadership away from the ring. I want to thank the Aquilina family for giving us an opportunity to do so many things in the community. And uh, the Vancouver Canucks for being first class. Uh, from day one, they, they uh, really embraced uh, giving back in the community. And uh, it's, uh, it's been an honor. For us, uh, hockey has always been more than what you do on the ice. Uh, so we want to thank all the communities around British Columbia, Vancouver, uh, that always support us throughout the years. Lastly, to all our teammates and opponents, it's, uh, you made the last 18 years a pleasure for us and the best part of our lives, so thank you so much. Very classy indeed, Soph. World Cup action, Diego Costa in Spain meeting Iran today. Costa striking for a pair of goals in Spain's opening match. No scoring till the second half, 54th minute. It's a great bounce for Spain, a bad one for Iran. The double deflection, third goal of the World Cup for Costa. He's got nine in Spain's last matches. Iran with the chance to draw even late in the match, 82nd minute, and it's over the bar. They also had a goal, by the way, that was disallowed by video reveal. They said it was offside. Spain sliding past Iran today. 1-0. Portugal versus Ronaldo. We liken the uh, the GOAT, greatest of all time, with the goatee, Ronaldo. Fourth minute. The cross. Who else? Yep. Scores again. 85th of his career. Second most all-time on the international scoring list. You know, there's something about world-class superstars on a world stage that just get it done. How about the set piece, though? 57th minute. Morocco, your first team officially eliminated. Portugal, four points. Winning a draw. Them and Spain are a top pool. B. Group A action. Uruguay, Saudi Arabia. 23rd minute. Uruguay corner. Ball onto the foot of Luis Suarez. 1-0. Uruguay. They're tied with Russia. A top Group A. They play Monday. Uruguay needing a win to finish first in the group. Well, as you saw, the Vancouver Canadiens play their home opener tonight at Nat Bailey Stadium. If you don't have a ticket, as you heard, they're sold out. Still tickets for uh, later in the week. Game was sold out three weeks ago. The uh, seized average just under 6,500 fans per game last year. Nobody puts on a better show or product than the Vancouver Canadiens. Seas also have a new skipper this season in Dallas McPherson. Dallas McPherson is not only the Canadiens' new manager, he himself is a new manager. This is his first job with a minor league team. <laughs> Did you ever think you'd be a manager when you played? Absolutely not, to be honest oh. with you. No, I actually probably thought, you know, if I got into coaching, it would be more of a, 
you know, hitting coach role, that was kind of always my passion. Actually, hitting was more than McPherson's passion. He was a top prospect because of his home run swing. I want it. You, show me. you want to see my swing? Yeah. Google it. Damn. <laughs> okay, we will. Traber eyes him, and now the pitch to McPherson swung on and hit to deep right center field. Unfortunately, injuries derailed his career. But over time, he developed a greater appreciation for other ways to score runs. For me, at the end of the day, you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything. You know, at least throughout the lineup, you've got to have some balance there. So you can have a, a, a lineup full of free swingers and sluggers if you want to, but eventually, pitching's going to get you. The other thing that can get you is if you're not able to catch up to the speed when you move up the ladder to this level. For me personally, it was defensively. Uh, it really was defensively and on the bases. You know, the game would just speed up on you a whole lot quicker. It happens a whole lot faster. So, you know, you kind of, that, that muscle memory has got to be ingrained a little bit more. <laughs> you got that part, defense wins championships. All right. You know, we talk a lot about the 15, pit, uh, 15 seconds in between pitches. Kind of got a mental checklist that you need to be able to go through in those 15 seconds, and which isn't much time, you know, but what am I going to do with the ball if it's hit here, if it's hit here, where's the runners, how many outs are at, you know, what's the situation, the score. The speed of the game really gets you on defense and on the bases. Oh boy. And McPherson himself is developing his skills as a manager as well. And being someone who retired from the game just five years ago, his memories of being a player are still quite vivid. I do, I do realize how hard it is to play the game. I do remember screwing up myself a lot, you know, and making the same mistakes that these guys are going to make. Um, being able to use and pull from that experience to help them, I think that's the, that's the biggest part of my role. Sounds like a baseball guy, doesn't he? Sure does. Mm -hmm. he, likes he likes to laugh. He likes to laugh. a good attitude. Sure. Coming up on ET Canada, host Julie Chen gives an exclusive tour inside the Big Brother house. Plus, how Janet Jackson finally found her joy in life. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Well, even with all of the advances in accessibility, it's always been one place generally unavailable to people in wheelchairs. But as Jeff Hastings reports, a number of cities, including Vancouver, are taking simple steps to open up their public beaches to everyone. Keep push, push. Wheelchairs don't work so well in the sand, no matter how strong-willed you are. Are you stuck? And three-year-old Sailor has plenty of spirit. Sailors, they go out into sea, they go on adventures, and they also weather storms, and they come through it stronger. And so for Sailor, it's been a real definition of her life. Sometimes it gets easier to launch. Vancouver Park Board has added these accessibility mats at two beaches. I didn't even know beach mats existed before. Sailor loves coming to the beach now even more because she can roll out with her siblings or with her friends and we'll often set up at the end of the beach and she essentially runs around and rolls around with her friends. One, two, three. <laughs> this is all about inclusion and making sure that everybody um, gets to enjoy the beach. Everybody. Oh, thanks, Sailor. Everyone's happy at the beach, right? Your kids can be crying all day long, and then you bring them to the beach, and it's like everything kind of works itself out, it seems. Yeah, pat it down. Today, health isn't the worry it once was. Sailor and her family have spent a lot of time at BC Children's Hospital in the past. The challenge now is navigating a world not built for her, but it's getting better. Your natural instinct is to just stay home. It's, it's just easier. And the city makes it easier for us to get out. 
water wheelchairs that Sailor will have to wait a few more years to use are another example of the ongoing accessibility initiative in Vancouver. Say cheese. The park board wants to know what other barriers exist to overcome. (laughs) Sailor's family wants her to know that she can do anything. As if we say that Sailor has a disability, she can overcome that. We don't ever want her or any kids with disabilities to have their disability form their identity. Jeff Hastings, Global News. Sailor is just about as cute as it gets. And that is the final report you'll see from Jeff Hastings on our channel. We're sad to see him go. It's on his terms. He's on to another adventure. Yeah, so oh, there he is with Barry and with Yvonne. So he's leaving us. And it will be a big loss for us, but a huge gain for him. So who's going to have the best hair now? Because Jeff had one of the best quaffs going all the time. All Never all a hair time. out of place. No. He's got sort of huh? like a Superman Handsome thing going dude. on, right? The Clark Kent thing. The Clark Kent thing. Clark Kent there, yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. luck, Jeff. We yep. love working with you. You bet. Super sure talented have. guy. One of the good guys. All right, let's head back out to Nat Bailey, where Christy Gordon is standing by with a sushi reveal, sort of. <laughs> That's right. Just finishing up uh, O Canada here. You can hear the crowd cheering. This is the kickoff to the 2018 Nat Bailey Stadium Vancouver Canadian season and the new sushi this year, you guys. Chop and sticks. Two guys that are going to be chopsticks. Oh, Bet you didn't I guess see. that. Chop and sticks. The sushi race is always a highlight at the Canadians game. Have fun out there tonight. Is there a soy sauce as well? That's a good question. I can't remember. Or wasabi. <laughs> anyway. Wasabi? I'm going for sushi. <laughs> Thanks.